Hello and welcome to episode 117 of Shoulder to Shoulder Podcast, telling stories from the LAFC community match by match, fan by fan, legend by legend. Folks, this week we are so grateful to bring to you one of the biggest guests we have ever had in the history of Shoulder to Shoulder Podcast. Joining us this week is musician, artist, producer, director, DJ, entrepreneur, and activist. You know him as the bass player of System of a Down. It's Shavo Odajian on the show. Wah! Boys, you freaking out? It's going to be a lot of fun. I've been a huge System of a Down fan my whole life. You know, as you guys, we've talked about this when it was leading up to the interview. And System of a Down was my first CD I ever had. I just, it's one of those ones that was the symphony of my teenage years, you know, and uh, I'm just really excited to get an opportunity to talk to him. Now, in disbelief that we have this get that he's a LAFC supporter through and through, he's been there more than a handful of times at this point, and he's very passionate and similar to what Chris said. And I know how you feel, Jonathan, but he was part of one of my favorite bands growing up. I shared some things with, with him in the conversation where one of the reasons I got a one of those pricier Walkmans for CDs back in the day was to listen to system of the down so it didn't skip when i was skateboarding so looking forward to that i also wanted to say thank you for holding it down both of you while i was out out sick my sister got to get her master's degree went to arizona to do that so a couple of life events and uh life uh happenings so uh you guys did a fantastic job i appreciate it bro nothing but love congrats to your sister on graduating that is a huge huge deal almost as big a deal as having Shavo Odajian on Shoulder to Shoulder podcast, I must say. I'm super stoked about this, man. The band I used to play in, we covered Sugar. I mean, ah, so much fun. I mean, their music for the past 24 years that it's been in my life is just some pretty awesome stuff. But uh, speaking of guests, our opponent correspondent this week, repping the Philadelphia Union, we have John El Parcero Philly, who's joining us from Dupe by the River podcast, getting us all geared up for this titanic matchup of number one in the west versus number one in the east coming up this weekend but let's not get ahead of ourselves guys before we dive into segment two our interview with Shavo, let's go ahead and catch everybody up on news and notes pretty action-packed weekend at the bank starting out friday night with the first ever inaugural match for the angel city football club now this is of course not an acfc podcast we're not going to spend too much time on this if you're looking for an acfc podcast we Highly encourage you to go check out Angel City Chicks with our friends Nina and Scarfett. So, I mean, that's up. I'm sorry, Nina and Panda. Nina and being Scarfett, that's a bit redundant. But uh, they do a fantastic pod over on Angel City Chicks. But I got a chance to go down supporters section with my girl. She's really excited about this. I'm stoked. We finally have a women's team. And it was a pretty amazing experience. 22,000 strong at the bank to get to see that first game ever. There were celebrities everywhere. It took just two and a half minutes to see that first goal get knocked in. People are crying. It was a a little different experience. No beer showers, obviously, in the North End for ACFC. So a slightly different moment when a goal scores. A little weird seeing the pink smoke pop up from the capo stands there at the bank. Uh, There were some surreal moments of the juxtaposition of seeing a completely different team call the bank home, which was a little weird from the LAFC fan perspective, but obviously... As someone who wants to see the women's game continue to grow, and especially here in Los Angeles, it was a pretty amazing experience. Boys, did you get a chance to take in the game at all? Have any thoughts on Angel City getting their first dub? Unfortunately, I wasn't able to attend the match, but I did watch it on replay. We had something that was pre-planned that day, unfortunately. But I thought the crowd was great. Different than LAFC games, it's still very powerful. I think played their role. 
the North Carolina team is is not an easy team to play against, and they've, they've been around and they have you know a really strong roster. So I thought uh, ACFC came out really strong. They played well, you know, high caliber style play and gritty, and was able to be aggressive. So I was impressed with the play on the field, the performance that they brought, and then you know getting the win. Obviously, in the first game at the bank is very important, and uh, they were able to do that. So I'm happy for the the kickoff of the season. I know they had some games and cup games, but I hope they are able to sustain this and get into a playoff position and fight for for the for the championship this year. So uh, the support was was amazing too. You know, I think there's a thought in my mind. I hope that it does as well as LAFC's first game and it continues throughout the season. But I think there is plenty of pent up demand for women's football in LA and it showed in this first match. Absolutely. They had a tweet come out that had 15,000 season ticket holders for ACFC for their inaugural season. So it shows that the demand is there. You just hope that the performance on the pitch continues. Uh, I know that in that competition that they had at the beginning of the season, the ACFC hadn't played to their strongest. And I think that some people were a little bit nervous, I guess, to say as to the opening match. But uh, as long as they continue to play like this, that that fan base is going to be there to back them. I'm curious, Jonathan, what was the reason that there wasn't any beer showers in the North End for the ACFC match? Well, so beer showers is something the 3252 chose that they wanted to do. And the group of supporters that, you know, are, are still growing in the ACFC North End, uh, they chose that beer showers was not something they wanted to do. So I think that's all just supporters leadership trying to, you know, define themselves and kind of live in their own lane. And I know ACFC does not want to be a carbon copy of the 3252. They're trying to appeal to a broader audience than just the LAFC fans. And so one thing that they decided to be different on was, you know, not doing beer showers, which I'm, I'm totally fine with. It's kind of nice every now and then not to go home covered in beer. You know, I appreciate it and love that experience at an LAFC game, but it doesn't bother me at all that ACFC has decided to, to go a different direction than that. And what I did love about this game is that there was a very similar move by Endo down in the corner, beating the defender with a little bit of trickery in order to create some space to fire off that first cross that ended up resulting in the first ever ACFC goal at the bank. That was almost reminiscent of something we saw on Sunday. And perhaps we'll touch more on that a little bit later. But before we jump from Friday to Sunday, we had another really cool event at the bank on Saturday. Thanks to Chris, who hooked up some tickets. Gracias, brother. I got to go and join a meet and greet between fans and Will Koontz and Jordan Harvey. We got to sit there in an intimate setting on Sunset Deck. And here, our assistant general manager, Will Koontz, and as he has recently been dubbed Mr. LAFC, Jordan Harvey, a man who has his fingers in so many different aspects of the club, get to sit there and just shoot the breeze and take questions from fans about what's going on. And there were a couple of quotes I wanted to share from that particular event with you guys and just kind of get your thoughts on it. So the first two are going to come from Will, our assistant general manager. And these quotes were, in regards to the potential of a third DP joining the team this year. And the, these two quotes really stuck with me. So the first one he said is, there are two kinds of sports owners, those who hate losing money and those who hate losing games. And obviously alluding to the fact that LAFC's ownership are the type that hate losing games. And along those same lines, 
when asked about where he would bring in a DP on this team, he said, we are going to add an attacker. So I'm just curious real quick to get your thoughts on those comments from Will. I think that this club has in its history been very black and white and forward thinking. And there's a lot of transparency. We hear that from the top down, whether it's John Thornton talking about our game plan when it comes to developing young players and springboarding them to other other leagues and selling them for a higher price point in a few years, or Will Koontz sitting here and telling us that we are uh, uh, we have an ownership group that wants to win games as opposed to earn the highest dollar. I'm not surprised at the amount of honesty, but it's uh, an interesting take that I I don't think that there's a lot of people that are outside of sports management that would look at it that way you know you very simplistically just divided it into you're going to have owners that want to make money and you're going to have owners that want to win games and uh, to put it simply like that it makes it very easy to understand when you can evaluate teams based on uh anything you can look at any team across any sport and say okay do i have owners that want to make money or do i have owners that want to win games and it makes it very easy that way so that's that's a kind of cool way to look at things from a different light in terms of an attacker that to me is something that I think that that can be interpreted in a few different ways. You know, an attacker can simply be the low hanging fruit idea of a forward, a striker, but you could also have a midfielder who is someone who plays more of an offensive role as opposed to a box to box or defensive role that could also still be qualified as an attacker. I think that if we were to go for a striker, we would have a very congested front three. Carlos Vela, Chicho Arango, Apoku, Brian Rodriguez. And now you're going to bring in a third DP to play as a striker. I just, I think that it may not be the best use for a DP spot, but at the same time too, I don't, you know, this isn't my forte to know sports management and to have the operations and analytics like that. So, I, I mean, just as from the initial hearing of it, that's, that's the first thing that crossed my mind is if we do use it as a striker, it just seems like somebody's going to probably be upset that they're not getting the minutes that they once were. And I think that all four of those players that I had just mentioned are quality players that could be starters on our roster at any point in time. And it's not like we're getting an upgrade of sorts. I think all four of those players are very, very strong players. Yeah. And that's not including Danny Mazowski or Cal Jennings, right? Which I mean, I think Mazowski may not be a starter on some teams, but he could be a starter on at least 10 teams in the MLS right now. Or Ishmael Tajiri Shradi, right? Like there's another one. That, I mean, we have so much depth already in the striker positions. I, I just, I don't know. I don't know exactly how to to take that. As a, as a fan, as a supporter, that's the kind of language I want reiterated and expressed in terms of ownership likes to invest, right? They don't like to lose games. So it's important to me for that message to be out there for the supporters. Like, you know, a lot of people spend their hard-earned money to go watch the game time and effort uh supporter groups everyone uh, that that goes to the game contributes in some some way as best they can or they want to escape the routine of the week so it's important to feel like you're going to go get the to watch the most productive and entertaining product possible 
so I, I really like that. That's that's one of the things. If I think about it from a business perspective, there is some controls in the MLS in terms of salary cap, right? But there are three DPs that don't really count against that. So to me, that means there's going to be investment in a certain way that's either bought to be sold for, for more money. But if you're thinking progressively where you're going to invest money to got, have really good product that's going to bring you know more fans, more sponsors. I see more and more things around the stadium, sponsors being announced all the time, Postmates, Chick-fil-A, there's all kinds of things. And they're partnering because of the product in the field and the way that LA views the team and it's supported and they want to get those eyeballs and have those opportunities to interact with us. In terms of him bring, bringing an attacker, him, John Thornton, the rest of the, the front office, I think that makes sense. I think that's where the most value is in terms of uh, what's going to get you wins. The hardest thing in the sport is to score. I agree with Chris and you that it could be a, an attacking midfielder or some sort of hybrid that could play winger, midfielder, or uh, out, out number nine. The thing I will say is it, it is congested up, up front right now where we can have all kinds of different frontline machinations. But if we bring a, a DP, I think it's also an asset to trade for more allocation money for a different player to strengthen our midfield or defensive line. So these are problems that we're creating for ourselves that are of high esteem and high regard that a lot of teams in MLS would want to be in. So, you know, Will Koontz, John Thornton, the rest of the front office, we had a couple down years, but I think they've hit the reset button in a great way that the teams just restarted this season. And the fact that there's still a tone of hunger to strengthen the team some more and uh, reiteration that the ownership group is willing to, you know, pony up some more money to strengthen the club for years to come is something that I really welcome. So those two quotes are awesome, Jonathan. Thank you for being there, first of all, and being able to relay that question to us. I think that there's, I think, a few more tidbits that you're going to bring up that I'm like really interested to hear. You know, the other thing that is to keep in mind, too, when referencing Will's comment about filling a DP spot, um, the MLS primary transfer window, it closes tonight. The night of the recording is Wednesday, May 4th. And so it closes tonight. So just because LAC doesn't make an announcement, that doesn't mean that something didn't happen. The deadline is for paperwork, not for the announcements. So something could be in the works in the next day or so, get an announcement. But, you know, in all likelihood, we're probably going to wait for a summer transfer. Yeah, there's a couple things when he says we're bringing in an attacker. I, I don't think that necessarily means a number nine. I, I would have to agree with you guys. We have a lot of options up top. I think. We've often said on this show that an attacking mid is where we would like to see that DP used. I think when he says we're bringing in an attacker, all that means to me is that it's not going to be a defensive mid or an outside back, right? No one ever, ever, ever uses a DP space for a center back. That has never worked out. It's never something that's going to happen. In contrary, rare- Zimmerman. Zimmerman just got a DP deal. Yeah, but he's worth it. Uh, he is. But you said Well, that. but see, again, in the famous words of... Vince LaRosa, when has a defensive DP position ever worked out in the MLS? He could and put up he, a trend, but I don't think he's going to be scoring goals and winning championships because of that deal. It'll be some of the other DPs on his team. But I don't want to detract from your point. Sorry, Jonathan. To, to no, I, and congrats to Walker Zimmerman. I think if there's one center back in the league that deserves a DP tag, he's probably the only one, right? When the... MLS general managers were polled and they were asked if you could draft one player from the league to start your team, who would the one player be? 
Walker Zimmerman was the, by wide margin, the overall number one answer. So pretty much every GM across this league views him as the biggest asset to building a team. So I think he's certainly worthy of of a DP slot there. But in 99% of the time, you're never going to see a DP at center back. You're never going to see a DP at keeper. So it's really all he's done here is rule out the option of outside back or defensive mid. Now, I did also ask him the question about with Moon departing, what does that mean about our depth at outside backs and do we need to bring someone in? And he spoke very highly of all the players we have and the returning of Escobar and his return to form, but also mentioned that in training, Jordan Harvey still has to go out there and play outside back from time to time just to have enough bodies in training, which says to me that we could be looking at an addition for outside back, but it's never going to be DP money. But along the lines, and before I get into another quote from Jordan Harvey, Kellen Acosta was on a podcast this past week called Chum Chat, and they were asking him about the potential of him moving to England and some of the offers that came in prior to his trade to LAFC. Now, we know he had already spoken publicly about the fact that there were offers for him, but he once again doubled down saying that the offers were specifically from the championship in England and that it is still his desire. He still wants to go to England. So with those quotes in mind, to me, a DP replacing his spot seems the most likely addition with the potential sale of Acosta at the end of this season. And that seems to be where we would think we need some depth, but then who knows the way Poncho played in this last game, who knows, but we'll get to that in a sec. I did have one last quote from, from Jordan Harvey that I wanted to share with you guys. So Jordan was asked of all the players on the defense, who is currently the leader of the defense? And the name he gave, Max Kerpo. So when asked who's the leader on the defense, our brand new goalkeeper, Max Kerpo, was the one who has stepped up and has been the leader so far. So unpack that for a sec. What do you think that means? I agree with him. I mean, that would be my observation without being in training or having access. But he's very vocal. Keepers do have the best offensive point of view. And he does move them and lets them know who's tracking what or who should track what or who's coming through, who's making what run. If you take a moment, I know you don't really get a chance to do this, Jonathan, but in the replays, when you go home after being in the north end, if you really look uh, when the camera's on the defensive end, he's kind of quarterbacking the defense or being a defensive coordinator back there. So and has no qualms in terms of kind of getting in, in people's faces or raising his voice, but also does the, the, the complete opposite when um, it's a good play. He goes and is the first one to go and give him a high five, slap in the back, pump them up for the slide tackle, the save, the block shot. So I think he has raised the morale of the back line for sure. I think he's given them some reassurance. I think the only game where he didn't get a chance to make saves the way we expect him to, and he's been doing so, is that the Galaxy game. But I also think they left him in no man's land twice. Unfortunately, we had some defensive lapses. Other than that game, I think we haven't, we still haven't given up any second half goals, and it's for a reason. Um, I think the confidence he exudes to the back line is great, and I think Cheeky is able to take some some risks because I think he has a confidence in in him, kind of quarterback in the back line. And I think Ilya, I know you didn't mention as part of the question, but he's he's been doing a good job of filling in the gaps depending on who goes up. You know, one thing I I do notice from where I'm sitting is that when Max is yelling at the team, because, you know, I'm like 20 feet from the keeper, Max will yell in English, Spanish, 
and French. And you can definitely hear that from, from where I'm sitting. So when he's talking to Fall, he's screaming at him in French. When he's talking to the rest of his back line, he's screaming at him in Spanish. And, you know, when it's Hollingshead or anyone else or Acosta in there, he's screaming at him in English. So I, I do think it's kind of funny, something that I can see from the North End, that he's clearly yelling at our team in three languages, which is pretty cool. You know, I was sitting here when you first mentioned that he was yelling in French. I'm trying to think, who would he talk to in French? But it didn't even occur to me, right? Of course, Senegal. Mamadou Fall from Senegal speaking French. It makes sense. Yeah. And that's a tidbit I didn't even know. So that's uh, something I just found out. And that makes a lot of sense, too. I think well, how, how hard is it to find someone that's trilingual, not in Europe, I feel. Um, and that's not Canadian because I, I feel most Americans, you know, they might know Spanish, but the French piece, that's uh, definitely unique. I think all of that spells to the fact that uh, we are likely to see an attacking mid which is frankly what most of the fans have seen as the obvious addition and designated player, but a really cool event. Once again, hats off to LAFC for even having an event like this. What other club in the world can the fans go and sit there with the GM and a member of the technical coaching staff, you know, Max Bredos hosted the event. So, you know, you got the voice of LAFC on TV there, you know, with, with all this intellectual talent across the team just sitting there talking to fans about what's going on with the team it's um you know part of one of the things that really separates this club from what you see in other parts of the world of football one last thing before we get into our interview with Shava, which i know you're all eagerly awaiting scarves up for good please continue to use that hashtag on all your tweets take pictures in front of that scarf that we have there at the front of the what is that the northwest corner of the stadium the proceeds that are donated from each one of those tweets go to the Mofasio Memorial Foundation to try and build that futsal court. We are still a lot of dollars away from that futsal court being built on every bit of money that can be raised, whether it's donating yourself, whether it's going out and purchasing or participating in any of the events or raffles or products that are currently being sold by supporters groups. That's a great way to invest your own money. But let's say you're not a person that is financially prepared to be able to make a donation right now. Literally, all you have to do is send a tweet, send a tweet, hashtag it with scarves up for good. And that money's going to get donated right to the Mofasio Memorial Foundation. So just wanted to really encourage people to continue to do that and to continue to raise money as best we can to try and honor the life and memory of Mofasio with that Memorial Futsal Court. So thank you for that moment. All right, gentlemen, before we get into our interview. Anything else that you guys wanted? Oh, wait, I know what we forgot. LAFC had a game. We won that game. I almost forgot. I got so excited. Shavo's coming up. I almost forgot. We got a game to talk about. Sunday at the bank, LAFC defeats Minnesota United 2-0. A game that was wild, man. From the get-go, it looked super sloppy. We had a ton of giveaways in that first 5-10 minutes, and I thought, oh, my gosh, here we go. We're going to lose five to one to these guys again, hearkening back to a couple seasons ago. And then the game settled down. It got a little cagey. And then my goodness, Lode had a wide open shot, which I thought was guaranteed to go in. And it was going to be one nil Minnesota. And from six yards away from goal, he absolutely skied one over the top of the goal that had a over 30% chance of going in from that spot in expected goal. And just when I thought that was the biggest miss that I have ever seen at Bank of California Stadium, here comes Quadwo Mahala Opoku with the hold my beer moment of the game because not five minutes later, he misses a shot with a 45% expected goal to go in. 
And here we have two prolific strikers within five minutes of each other that had just skied balls over the goal from two steps away from walking the ball into the net. And I thought to myself, okay, this game is destined to end nil-nil. Absolutely no one has got their striking boots on today. And this game is is, is going to go down as a nil-nil tie. And then, well, here comes Steve Chirundolo striking from the bench, not once, but twice. The super subs that continue to define this season once again won us a game. Not one, but two goals coming off the bench. We had a brilliant just scramble in the box goal from Hollingshead. And then, my goodness, my goodness, Pancho Ginella. Hold up. I owe you an apology, sir. I'm very sorry, Poncho. Last show, I think it was my turn to apologize to Cheeky. It is now my turn to apologize to Poncho. I went on Voices of the Black and Gold last week and described Poncho as currently sitting on a corner of John Thorrington's desk with a spinning blue light above him with regards to his potential exit and transfer. After what he showed me in this game, this was a completely different Poncho Ginella. His ability to get involved with seafood down in that corner that absolutely embarrassing little back flick he did to create the space to score that second goal. Pure class, champagne football all the way. A game that looked destined for a nil-nil tie ends up being a two-nil laugher in the end. And, And wow, this team just continues to find ways to win game in substitutes when it looks all but lost. And hats off to Poncho. I owe you an apology, and I am officially on the free poncho train. Bro, just knock that off right now. I can't believe you would say that. This guy has been a lump on a log for 18 months or however long he's been here, dude. Like, because he has one good game, he's a professional athlete, you know? I mean, like you always say, like you've been saying the last few weeks, right? A blind squirrel finds a nut, right? I found my nut this week because I got my 2-0, I got my 2-0 victory, right? My shout out to Kerpo, right? But I mean, he's a professional. He's supposed to be having more of these good games. He had one good game. I'm jury's out on this guy, dude. Like I if I start seeing more of that on a regular basis, then yeah, I'm gonna be like, all right, dude, he's found some form. He's got some, he's got some brilliance to him. There's some benefit to having him in the squad. But I mean, for all of the things that he has done, where we've sat here on these podcasts and and reviewed it later, and we're like, man, this guy is a waste of space, right? And the blaring negatives. I mean, that match against Tigres, right? When we lost, bro, like that to me, he will never be forgotten for that. You know, like he, I need to see more of what he showed us in Sunday before I sit here and change my opinion, you know? And, uh, and I hope he does. And I hope that he does, right? I hope, I'm hoping that all of our players find the best versions of themselves while they play for us. But I'm just, I'm not going to sit here and be like, all of a sudden, like, Poncho Janela bandwagon fan like I I would like to see more from him before I sit here and you know take back all the things that I've that I've thought or said about him but I digress the match was good leading into the match I had reached out to Tyler Miller right because I told you guys that I like I have the game game worn jerseys uh one from every season and my plan is to you know have them immortalized in the museum or whatever right 
Well, I had a, a match worn jersey from Tyler that was unsigned. So I sent him an email and I was like, hey, man, you're coming to the bank. Any chance I can get you to sign it? He goes, yeah, no problem. I'll sign it in warmups. And so sure enough, during warmups, dude, I stood out there. I called his name. I flashed the jersey. He came over, signed it, dude. Class act. Tyler Miller, super class act. And I hope that, you know, he uh, is given an opportunity. You know, we had our opponent correspondent last week come on and he talked about the role and uh, of Tyler Miller and how they expect him how John Harrison, our opponent correspondent, had said that they expect him to potentially get transferred out. So I hope that whatever team he lands on, they give him the opportunity because I think that you know I think that it's one of those things where he is a good he's a good goalkeeper for this league, and I think that he he's like I said, always a class act. Now to the match, definitely the team came out slow, and there but and I I was on the side where Chiki Palacios was on my side for the first half of the match, and he was just running up the pitch and he was doing very well dude he had a lot of good pace he was in a lot of areas there was a lot of press and we just we just couldn't put the ball in the back of the net but i thought the team played well overall i think that in the second half i think that minnesota had come out and they had t- looked a little bit more dominant coming out of the gates of the second half but the subs came in we took we took control of the match and uh what can I say? I finally got my 2-0 score line. So now I'm going to be able to give you a different score line because, uh, you know, at some point I got it correct and uh, I'm ready. I'm ready to go. I have a few thoughts. First one, Jonathan, you succinctly described the match so well as if you do this as a profession. That was very well done. It's almost like you you went through my memory as I was kind of thinking through the match. I agree with you. The beginning of the match was a little sloppy and I think we were fortunate to not give up a goal. I think most top half of the table teams with a decent striker would have had at least one or two goals in the first five, 10 minutes. So we were fortunate there. I mean, I felt like you did. We're like, what's going to be of this match? For whatever reason, Minnesota's had the best games of their seasons against us pre-playoffs. And Reynoso was, you know, causing some havoc early on in the first five, 10 minutes. And he's a very skillful player. But one thing I do think Minnesota was out of character in terms of how they usually play. They played way more defensive this game. And they had a lot of their attacking pieces on the bench, uh, apart from Reynoso and their striker, which was I thought was interesting. So to me, it seemed like they came to not lose or to try to gain a point or kind of have a smash and grab. They want to, you know, get the three points just by holding us to minimal goals and seeing if they can get us on the counter. So that's why I thought getting through those first 5, 10, 15 minutes of the first half were important. I agree with you that we, you know, we dominated the game. Cheeky was a protagonist most of the game in terms of uh, causing havoc on the left side. And we just missed a lot of chances. Uh, you brilliantly des- described those two sitters on both ends. I think Crepo had had a lot of effect on that shot. Also, I didn't think the ball settled in the way he wanted to. It was still bouncing when he hit it. Still no excuse. He's, he's like within, you know, eight yards. He should at least put it on frame or force a save. So um, no excuse on that. And Mahala, I have no idea, first of all, how the ball didn't go in, hit two posts, and then... I, the ball bounced up on him a little bit too, but it's still no excuse to not put it on frame. So I think he got overexcited and, and got hit it under. Apart from that, dude, Holling said my comment on him is that he has his shooting boots. He can score with his head. I think he is atypical in terms of a defender being able to stay over the ball, keep it on frame, and be very aware of where he is and how much time he has in the box. I don't think that's common for a defender. And then your comments about Ginella. I don't agree with you of him being out of the doghouse. I mean, I think he could be 
one of the best 15 to 20 minute midfielders when the team is tired and he can at that point everyone has the same pace as him which is why he can probably show out and do well but um his touch and his vision isn't bad I just think his the speed of his game isn't always suited for every matchup so I think one of the things I I will say that I like from Trundolo is that he game plans and I think He's choosing the right midfield mix of starting and who substitutes, right? Who comes in for the last half hour, 25 minutes, depending on who they're playing, because it's been Sifu or it's been Blessing. Up top, it's been Mazowski, Opoku, Chicho, different mixes. And I think it's, and, and I think he thinks about the subs too, depending on the game situation and what the attributes of the other, other team are. So I think that that's all very fruitful. Champagne football for sure. Two heel passes, no look across the goal in terms of across two runners, one first post, second post, you know, textbook of how you practice it. And Sifu was able to get decent enough contact to put in the side netting. This is just brilliant. So both goals were well-deserved. I thought that um, it wouldn't come. And, um, you know, one thing I will say too about the supporters and the, and the, the fans in the stadium Everyone's there till the end of the game. It was the 82nd minute for the first goal and the place was packed and it erupted and it was beautiful to see. I'm glad we were able to make it. Xavier, um, my son made it through the game and uh, loved it. So happy, happy to, to have uh, been there. And it was a brilliant Sunday evening, even though I was tired the next morning, it was worth it. So I, I have a couple thoughts on this, right? And we've really seen meteoric progression of Palacios so far this season. You have Steve Chirundolo as head coach. He was one of the greatest outside backs this country has ever created, right? And, and he played fairly decent when he was in the midfield in that role as well, too. Are we seeing a Chirunda bump, if you will, in the performance of both Palacios and Janela? Do you think there's a direct correlation to the training that they're receiving on the pitch from Chirundolo week in and week out? I think that you could say that Cheeky Palacios is playing differently and it, it very well could be, but we've seen a lot of minutes. I'm not sure that we're like, I mean, bro, he had one good game. Like I, I'm not, I'm not going to just sit here and be like, yeah, man, Pancho Janela, man, his, his football, man, he's playing, playing solid football. He's playing really good. No, dude, he had, he had one good 15 minutes, dude. Like it, Let's see what else comes out from this. I'm just saying it was it was pretty epic 15 minutes and really just three seconds of that 15 minutes that we're focusing on. But, um, you know, look, uh, it was said of his performance in Conca Champions that he was still recovering from the symptoms of COVID, that he really had some lung issues and it's taken him a long time to get his feet back under him. I don't know how much of that you buy or don't buy, but uh, he looked good for those 15 minutes. And if anything, it makes that blue light special on JT's desk a little more shoppable. I think he is one of the teams that would be suited in a more defensive setup, maybe a double pivot or a four midfielder. I think in a, in a three midfielder setting, he's, he just doesn't have the game speed or the, the speed uh, to recover. I think the speed of thought and pass maybe, but not, not that speed. And I think that's one of the only maybe remaining criticisms I have in terms of his salary, salary cap hit. But if he's going to be a good serviceable last 20 minutes or so in the season uh, and leads us to a championship, it's, it was worth the investment in the weight. Until then, I think he is a good player, not worth that money, but I think he is going to have a chance to improve and figure out his role. I think he he had a lot of pressure maybe being behind a Twesta and kind of being the heir apparent. And I don't think he has that pressure to 
maybe be the starter, but he is fighting for minutes because the midfielder is decently deep. So I think that's going to bring out the best of him in a different regard. All right, boys. Well, I think that wraps us up for our 2-0 win. I think it's time as we sit here via Zoom in our desolate rooms to go ahead and transition the show. So, folks, the moment we have all been eagerly awaiting for, we will be right back after this break with Shavo. What's up, a miniature boy here once again, the Hood Foodie. And today you're listening to Shoulder to Shoulder Podcast. So make sure you guys come out, support, and tell them that the Hood Foodie sent you. Folks, joining us this day is none other than musician, artist, producer, director, DJ, entrepreneur, activist. You know him as the Grammy Award winning bass player for not only North Kingsley, but System of a Down, Shavo Adagian in the house. Hey, man, how are you, brother? <laughs> That's a big one right there. Oh, man, we are so, so excited to have you on. Watching you come to the bank and all of us being huge system fans, this is a really big moment for us. We oh, really, yeah. really appreciate you coming on, but let's go ahead and dive into it, man. We're here to talk about the beautiful game, and we're curious, when did this sport enter your life? Did you play as a child? Did you support any other teams prior to LAFC? Okay, so my dad's a big, I think it's Newcastle or Manchester fan. I'm not sure. It's been around me my whole life. You know, Armenia, Like it's just like, it's, it's a world global sport. It's the most popular sport in the world. You know, of course, growing up in LA, I mean, I was born in Armenia, so there was a lot of it there. That's all there was really. And so I saw it. It was constantly there for me, you know? So my grandpa used to watch him constantly, like big fanatic of it, God rest his soul. And then my dad also still today he has like channels like he has certain services just to watch world soccer you know what i mean global soccer and i also will you ask i played in school my private school there was no field we practiced on cement but we were in we we, we had a soccer team we never scored a goal throughout the whole season <laughs> but but we played you know i was on i was on the team so it was there for me my whole life. I went to basketball games, did that, you know, that was because it's LA, you know, when I moved to LA, never went to really soccer games. I think I went to one Galaxy game back in the day, but never, it never stuck with me, you know, never stuck with me. The turning point was when they invited me to an LAFC match last season. It was the last one where they tied and I was sold. It was amazing. I, I was sold right away. Just the energy and the unified energy that you feel when you're in that stadium. And we were going to play, you know, we were supposed to play Bank of California for two years and it kept getting postponed. Like I think they got postponed three to four times. This was within the postponement period. And they invited me. They said, you're going to play here. Why don't you come to a game? And I went, I, you know, I was thinking I go early. I'll leave early. I'm just showing up just to show face and be there. Bro, I stayed till the game was over, till the end. I hung out with everybody. It just became this, the three, two, five, two, bro. Those guys, I mean, come on. Like, there's no other fans like that in America, I don't think, in the whole nation. I think it reminds me of the old hooligan vibe, you know? Like, they, they talk about the soccer hooligans throughout the world, you know, from England and all the Scotland and the crazies out there. It's kind of that, the South America vibe, you know? And, um, it's all there, bro. It's all there in one place. All the energy like explodes once they start. And I was sold, bro. That was it for me, you know? 
And I've been back every home game ever since. That's awesome. You know, and you talk about the system of a down and how that was supposed to be a show that was supposed to be at the Bank of California Stadium for years to come. And that was a show that I think a lot of fans were looking forward to seeing. You know, and System of a Down is one of those bands that's revered throughout the whole world. What was your history with music? How did you fall in love with music? What were some of the first bands that you had made you want to pursue a career in music? I always had music around me, even in Armenia. I mean, I was five years old when we moved to America, but I remember little bits and pieces of that era. And I remember my parents had Beatles records, you know, with Russian print on it. And there was uh, Boney M, a lot of world music. I was always a fan. They said I would dance around whenever they put music on, I would perform to the, fa- the family. And then um, when I came to America, I was five years old. The first thing I saw was in Hollywood, I saw a big mural of Kiss. And I was just, wow, you can like play guitar and put makeup on and do all sorts of crazy things. It wasn't like I even knew what song they played. It was more about the energy and the vibe that I saw, you know, which always drags me to things that I'm passionate about because I also have that energy, you know? So when I see it, I relate to it. So it was that. And then first record I bought, I think first record that was given to me was an ACDC record and a Kiss Creatures of the Night record. And then I bought the Quiet Riot record, I remember, with my own money for the first time. And I got an allowance. Uh, So it was mostly metal back then, you know, like 80s metal. And then um, I got into punk rock and I got into hip hop. I got into like NWA and like me think Eric B and Rakim, Public Enemy, Run DMC. And at the same time, I was listening to like I started listening to Metallica and uh, bands like that. Misfits became a big thing in my life. Ramones, Bad Brains, Dead Kennedys, those guys just, you know, my history was that. That's where I, it's just, I don't have a genre. I have many genres. I think if it's good, I'm into it, you know? So that's where I started. And then I didn't really play guitar because I asked for a guitar, but the whole era, I kept asking my parents to like play an instrument. I wanted to play guitar and they wouldn't do it because, um, They had the old Armenian mentality or the old country, I should say, not just Armenian. I think a lot of old, you know, cultures think that, you know, if you're into music, you're going to be a starving musician, you know? So they didn't want that for me. They wanted me to be, you know, a lawyer or a doctor or something like that, which is like basically, you know, safe, you know? And um, I had other plans, bro. You know, (laughs) I had other plans. Your tastes reflect some of the collaborations that you've had in your storied career. Just to name a few, you have Santana, George Clinton, John Fruscante, Metallica, John Five, like you mentioned, hip-hop too, Wu-Tang, RZA, Jizza, many, many more. So what is it to collaborate with some of these great artists? You know, take us into that room or to those conversations and how all that happens. Pretty intense, man. Every time I do something like that, I'm still going there, man. I'm, I'm still working with people as we speak. Every time it feels surreal, every time it's like, I always go back to being the kid, you know, that was a fan and I'm still a fan. So I forget that I play in a famous band. I forget that I've done System of a Down and other things. And I forget that I've worked with all these people. And it's just like, what am I doing in this room with, for example, George Clinton? Like, how did I end up here? How did he choose to work with me? How did I choose to, like, how did that happen? It's always that crazy feeling I have I never take anything for granted I feel always grateful but I always push and I always like it needs to be the best you know 
the Wu-Tang guys, that was crazy, you know? That was the most surreal I think it's been. But now they're my bros, you know? It's crazy, like me and Riza, like Riza's kid was my ring boy when I got married. <laughs> so it's just, you know, it's just crazy. When that happened, it felt so crazy where I, I know I keep saying the word crazy, but uh, it really, it, it literally feels that way. I, I was in, in a room with Wu-Tang Clan. It's when System of a Down covered Shame uh, on, on the Loud Rocks record. That's how I met them. And uh, I wanted them to do some verses on it, do some things on it, so it wouldn't just be us on the record. I kind of liked the collaboration there, you know? And they agreed, they loved our version of it, and they got on. Rizzo was the first one. He was just like, dude, this is ridiculous, you know? I'll get on this. And then when I went and met the rest of the guys, we hung out, we did our thing. And then when I left that night, and I was supposed to come back the next day, when I came back the next day, they had done ad libs and all sorts of stuff. So it was like a Wu-Tang. It, it wasn't just featuring the RZA. It was like featuring Wu-Tang. So that was just out of this world. Who else? You mentioned Fushante. I mean, he's a legend and now a friend. We hung out so much. We actually did a song that no one's ever heard. It's John Fushante, the RZA, and me. I haven't dropped it yet. It's, it's in the works, you know? It's, it, it was a while ago, but we just never dropped it. Exclusive, um, exclusive. Shout yeah, out. yeah, yeah. It's it's. It, I actually sing in Armenian in that song, and it's like really old. It's it happened in like '07. I had just met my wife. I had just met hers. She had just become my girlfriend. I had fallen for her, and I kind of, I, I was in a romantic mood, you know. So I wrote an Armenian romantic verse talking about some girl, but it was about her, and it was so funny because I called my mom and I was having her translate, like. How do you say this, mom? She's like, what? Why do you want to say that? <laughs> it was really funny. But when people hear it, they're going to trip out because it's, they've never heard that side of me. And I always like doing different things, man. I don't think I'm one dimensional one bit, you know, just like the types of bands I listen to and artists I listen to. It's I'm, I'm the same, bro. I, I can do electronic music. I can do hip hop music. I can do heavy, heavy metal music. I can do rock. It's just whatever I'm feeling at the moment, bro. So yeah, all of it's been really surreal and it still is. Even when I listen to it now, it's like, I still can't believe that's me, you know, on the same record as these legends, you know? Speaking about, you know, being able to look back on your career, can you give us your all-time favorite show and the all-time favorite venue to play? Well, that's really tough because we've done a lot of those. I can mention like a couple of cool experiences when we played Rock and Rio in uh, Brazil that was ridiculous you know that's the first time we had like 200,000 people in front of us the energy you get from 200 because you know we're all energy right like you and I are right now talking we're talking and there's energy even though this is zoom we're still bouncing off each other and when I'm on stage that's my favorite moment you know it's like I do all this to do that you know because the energy that I get I give back and the energy I give I get back you know but I've never experienced 200,000 souls their energy at once coming at four of us you know it's like it's only four of us and there's like two hundred thousand of them we became one and there was a sea it was an ocean it didn't feel like people it felt like water and like a hurricane or a tidal wave coming at us and at some points during the set they overpowered the microphones where i couldn't hear surge I can hear them singing. And that was just, you know, chilling experiences. That was great. Um, I also enjoy the little places. I enjoy playing a little club and having that same feeling with 150 people because it's all relevant to the size of the place you play also, you know? So, you know, it's all about 
even if it's 10 people or 200,000 people feeling the same feeling and giving that back to you. That's great. Japan was great in 98. We played this place called Club Quattro. It was on top of a sky rise. It was like one floor of a sky rise. Imagine like downtown and like one of the buildings, there's like one floor and there's a club on that floor. And uh, we performed there and it was ridiculous because the Japanese, they're just so polite. When you're talking, they're silent. You can hear a pin drop and they're just watching you. It's, so when we got on, it was cheering and then we stopped. They stopped and it was just like, okay, we're here now together. We're looking at each other. <laughs> and I was like, is this how the whole set's going to be? They're not going to react. And I didn't know. The second we started playing, it was buck wild. They were flying over each other, stage diving, doing craziness. Then the song would end. It was like they would stop and they would clap. It was nuts. It was just nuts. Just like the culture shock is, was ridiculously cool. And I love the Bank of California show recently. That's like the bomb. The both shows, one better than the other. I thought Friday were kicked. Saturday was even better. Like it just was like people came again. And then the new people combined knowing what we're playing. Now they were familiar with the set because we did the same set. Knowing what was coming, it was just, they were already excited for the next song and the next, it was just, it was seamless. And um, it was an hour and a half that felt like 30 minutes. Uh, believe me, it was an hour and a half that felt like about five minutes of my life. Yeah, I wanted it, it to was... go on forever. Fantastic <laughs> show. Every time I've seen you guys, you guys always kill it. Thank now, you. your career has changed a little bit of passive of late. You've expanded into some new enterprises. Now we know you for normally bringing that low vibe, that low energy on the bass guitar. But now you're helping people achieve some highs as well, too. And you've done that <laughs> it's a good in the one. world of 22 Red, my friend. So why don't you tell us a little bit about the CBD and Cannabis Enterprise? Um, it started about four years ago. I was going to do a lot. Me, uh, me and a good friend of mine who I've been friends with since like seven years old, we've always talked about doing a project together. Never actually came to fruition. We were sitting around a poker table and we said, Hey man, we should finally do something. We should do like a lifestyle brand. He said, I, I love the way you dress. He's like, you were very minimal, like no branding and just minimal branding and really cool fitting and really good fabric. And he's a textile guy. So he makes, you know, clothing. Say you're a brand and you want a X, Y, Z, you want a pants, you want four, four shirts and a hoodie. He'll make it for you. You know what I mean? You just have to tell him what you want. So we started that way and it was just going to be cool things like a Supreme or like a, you know, something like the like brand, you know? And our third partner came in, Sean, his tag is Surreal Yields, and he's a grower. Well, he's a lot more than that. But at the time, he was like the grower. And uh, I didn't know at what extent his grow was. And, you know, weed has always been something that I'm very familiar with and very good with. I'm a connoisseur. I've been smoking for 20 some years. I smoke with the best. I, um, I don't smoke to get high. I smoke for the taste, the smell. I, I don't like being too stoned. You know, I like to be still be you know, present and um, just, just, just like fine wine. You don't drink it to get drunk. You drink it for the taste and, the, you know, the after effect. And people have been asking me since it got legal in California, a lot of brands came to me and said, man, we know you're a smoker. We know you, you know, you're an activist. You're, you will push for this. Why don't we create a strain for you? Why don't we create this for you? And that for, and I just was like, no, man, I, I don't know what you're doing with the weed. I don't know how you're growing it. I don't want to put my name on something that I don't know what's happening with it. You know, it's not, I can't do that. I've been quality my whole life. I've Everything I've ever done has been quality. So I don't want to mess that up, my reputation, you know? But when this guy showed me his grow, I mean, you could eat off the floor. They were playing music to the flowers. And 
that affects the flower. You know what I mean? And I just said, you know what? This I can back, bro. Can we do this? Like in large scale? And he said, of course we can. This, this is what I've been waiting for, for some, an opportunity like this to take it further. So we did. And it, it became a lifestyle cannabis brand. And um, we started in 2018 in three dispensaries. It's 2022 now. We're in three states in every dispensary. And um, just pushing, bro, staying true to the game, making sure every nug that's in my jars is the prime nug. It's premium. No B's, no C's, only A's. We have a limited amount of products because we try to focus on the product we do have. It's not like we have 30 different things you can get. It's A's, pre-rolls. We used to do the vape pens, but I don't like distillate anymore, which is the isolate stuff turned into liquid. And I'm, I'm not into it, but so I just pulled it and the only pens we'll do, you know, going forward would be live resin, which is the actual concentrates, you know, of the, the cannabis plant and not anything else mixed inside of it. Uh, no additives, no um, chemicals, no uh, preservatives, any of that stuff, you know. So once we get that dialed in, we'll drop that. But until it's dialed in, we're we're straight flower. And we, but we do have live resin in Nevada. And we're soon going to have it in Arizona and California. It's just, like I said, everything needs to be dialed in before I put it in on the shelf. I can't put my name on something that I don't feel 100% about. So that's where it's been, bro. We're in three states. If you're in Arizona, Nevada, or California, go to your nearby dispensary and ask for 22 Red. And you won't be sorry. I dare you. <laughs> I dare you to write a bad review. You can't. So you mentioned earlier in the conversation that part of the reason you were introduced to the bank was you were looking at the venue to see what you guys were going to perform. Who was it that introduced you to the Bank of California? Was it record labels or touring or anything like that? No, no. It was uh, two people. Rich, LAFC Rich. Obligatory and LAFC Rich shout out. We have to have one from every guest. He's amazing. He's 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 the best, by the way. Oh, he, absolutely. He's the one I that mean, makes that happen. Yeah. He's so the puppeteer, he, man. He's got the he hands and he's got his hands and everything. 100%, bro. 100%. He um, had Ara Sunjian, who is a director, an amazing director. He directed the Protect the Land video for us. And him and I became close. So he said, listen, um, my boy from LAFC wants you to come to the game. Uh, come with us. So we went. And it was the last, I think I said it before, it was the last game of the last season. And uh, yeah, I was sold. <laughs> I just saw them last night, both of them. They were great. Yeah. So, you know, Tell us about that experience, right? Because if you had gotten there prior to the match, as soon as the match starts and the ball gets kicked off, the 3252, it's like an impact, right? They just they just take over and their presence is known. So what was that experience like from you for being able to just kind of be there? You know, you're chilling before the game. You're having conversations. You're taking a look around. You're like, oh, this is dope. Then the kickoff happens and you see the 3252 live in action. It's ridiculous. It's like this surge of energy comes into you and you become a member of the 3252 wherever you're sitting i don't think another team in all of the united states has anything even close to what we have it's like the heart and soul of that stadium every time i mean you know what the beauty is it's like say there's a match where the other team scores right because <laughs> that ain't happening it didn't happen yesterday but even when they score, they get louder. It's like, nah, that didn't happen. We didn't see that. Let's go, guys, you know, which is the coolest thing in the world. Like, that's just how I love to live. You know, it's like when when you're dealt, you know, lemons, you make lemonade out of them. That's exactly what they are. They don't even they don't skip a beat. You know, it's 
most fans, oh, you know, oh my God, you know, we might lose. No, not them. Even if we lose, bro, they're still screaming because they're going to be there the next match, you know? So um, it's it's very powerful. When life gives you lemons, make a Tom yeah. Collins, you know, enjoy you the ride, right? Yes. So speaking of which, the show at the bank ended up getting postponed a bunch of times. Surge ended up getting COVID. Faith No More ended up having to back out. Security protocols around the bank forbid the show. And so rather than your first exposure to Bank of California being playing a show in another venue. You got to experience it through the lens of the black and gold first and then go in and do the show. Did that make coming to the venue and performing that show any different since you'd had the LAFC experience beforehand? I don't know. I don't know if it made it different. I feel like it just made it more familiar for me, you know, because, you know, the area we walked through to go to our seats was the area that our dressing rooms were, it's where the soccer team, I mean, the whole team is, you know, we were in their dressing room and it, it was just cool, bro. It's just, I felt like I was already kind of familiar with the place. I was saying hi to the security guards. Like I knew them, you know, <laughs> it was great. I still do now. It's like, they know me now. It's when I walk through like Shavo, hell yeah, bro. Good to see you again. You know, I'll see you next time when, uh, when I'm leaving. Cause they know I'll be back. They know I'll be there at every game. So yeah, when I came to our actual show, I knew where to, you know, where to go. I knew who to talk to. I knew how to get where I was going. It was great. And then when I was up there, it was, you know, imagine you're watching for LAFC and this one, they're watching you. So it's a different vibe, but it's cool. I felt like I was home. None of those spinal tap moments of getting lost, trying to find the stage. Not here. Not, not at the bank. Not at the bank. I actually had my past and I, so we came with kids, you know, my kids saw our as, as play and uh, corn was playing prior. So I walked all the kids, also Sarah's kid, and some of my friends' kids. We walked them all on stage, and it was me. I was I was leading the pack, you know. I know this place, guys. Don't worry, you know. So I walked them up. I took them on stage. They watched corn play from the stage. It was such an experience, you know. Like the kids will never forget that ever. And I brought my two boys to the first game of the season. This season, I I came with my father and my two boys, which they loved it. What did your father think? He's a you know he's been watching football for years. Yeah. Yeah, he was like a pimp. He was he was kicking back. He was like, yeah, I got this, you know, like, oh, they're playing real good. Or, you know, he was just, it, he was down, you know. He had the great seats. He had the hat on. He had the LAFC hat on. I got him a scarf. He was chilling with it. He's a very cool man. He's, he's not as, like, outspoken as I am. He's more quiet and just does his thing, you know. So you, you knew he was, he had a big smile on his face the whole time. Uh, it was funny because he's sitting there. He was, like, on the third row or second row. And there was these guys in the front standing up. He's like, tell these guys to <laughs> sit down. <laughs> It was really funny. Tell these guys to sit down against me, you know, because he's he's not watching the, the screens. He's watching the game. And you're when you're like on the floor, it's tougher. You know, sometimes it's easier to watch the screens. So he was like, maybe next time we'll go back there. I'm like, no, no, I like this. <laughs> I, I like where I'm at. You know? <laughs> so he loved it. He loved it. To, to well, answer your question. He ever wants to come in the 3252, man. I'll make sure he makes it in there anytime. But you good. had a chance to come into the 3252, join up with Walter and the drum corps, and were beaten for us there. And I have to say, you know, I, I sit on the other end of the 3252 with the District 9 Ultras, and uh, I, I see all these people looking over at the drum line, and I'm like, oh, man, is something like, did somebody get in? you know, a little, little fisticuffs going on over there or what's going on. And I look over and there's you and B real banging away in the drum section. So what was that experience like? Bro, that was surreal as well. Like I said, bro, all these things, like I, I don't want to answer with the same answer, you know, with the same words, but very surreal. They, it was spontaneous. It wasn't planned. We were standing there. B, B was standing with me and um, exhibit too. He was with us. 
And um, they came, Rich, of course, comes and goes, hey, we're going to take you up to the 32. I was okay, are you sure it's safe? <laughs> like, are they going to, what? I didn't know, man, they're crazy, you know? So, bro, we walked over. It was actually the second time I was there. The first time I, they walked me over there to say hi to some people by myself. I walked up there, hugged a bunch of people. They, they gave me my jersey with my name on it. And uh, so this time I got up there and they, they said, you're going to play with the drum. I'm like, yeah, bro, give me the sticks, you know? So we got there and me and B banged on the same drum and we were there for a good 20, 30 minutes. And the best part of it was while we were drumming, they scored. So the place went buck wild, that beer on my face and it just got me even more amped, you know? So it was amazing. Uh, nothing negative, only positive. Wow, look at that. You got your first beer shower. That's yeah. that's amazing. Well, you've, you've officially been christened as part yeah. of the 3252. You're welcome anytime, brother. Well, you've been really generous with your time today. Before we hear about what's going on in your world, we have one question that we ask every guest that comes on this show. It's very important to us. It's the name of the show, Shoulder to Shoulder, and it seems to be a phrase that is interpreted differently by everyone that comes on this show. Wow. And so we're curious, what does Shoulder to Shoulder mean to you, Shava? Well, there's two things. One which is what, if I close my eyes and I think of shoulder to shoulder, I think of unity. I think of a unified front, a bond of people with the same interest, with the same goal going forward, you know, a unified front. That's what shoulder to shoulder means to me. But I've read that in soccer, it's actually something that happens. Let's say two, two people are going for the same ball and they hit shoulder to shoulder it could be a penalty. It could be not mattering how the ball, where the ball is, if, if the intention, because, you know, it's a physical sport, but if the intention is to get the ball, it doesn't count as a penalty. I did some reading on this to find out what actual shoulder to shoulder means, what literally the meaning is. And I guess it's when two players come at each other shoulder to shoulder while they're trying to go for the same ball. I know, I know the literal meaning, but personally it's a unified front absolutely yeah no absolutely and that's you know that's that's exactly what it is right like everybody in this community shoulder shoulder it's it's the club has used it as a motto and it's on the back of every jersey around the neck and you know that, that's amazing that. yeah also, absolutely there's some badass pictures from last night the whole front row of of section 10 that we were in we held each other like that and we did that track where we go back like sideways and then the other way that I don't, I don't remember which, which song it is, but I love that part. That was jump for LA that's football the club. Jump for LA football club. Yeah, yeah, that was bomb. So we did that, and there's a bunch of pictures I got today from Rich. Of, oh yeah, absolutely. Of me, like in in the air with with whoever was next to me. <laughs> I think it was Taco's way. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Yeah, we saw they uh, they post those in the group community chat for like content creators and stuff, mm -hmm. and so we have we got those photos too oh, those yeah. are those are dope photos there i am shoulder to shoulder so what are some upcoming projects or potential shows or tours or or adventures that you're going to be a part of that our fans can be on the lookout for well for system of a down we're kind of chill right now we've got a few things lined up next year that i can't speak of but we'll do when the time is right i do have the side project i've been working on north kingsley where i've dropped a few tracks in the last couple of years we've we're planning on just doing little drops, but the songs, it's, you know, melting into each other. And I felt like an album is due. So we're doing the record now. We're 12 songs in. We should be done within, like, by June or July. And hopefully we can drop it before fall. It's pretty cool, man. It's, this band's been developing and you guys can hear the development as the drops occur. The first one was at the rawest. It's, we've been... The second one got a little more produced, a little change of vibe. There's more singing in it. This new stuff is 
insane. It's way heavier. I'm using distortion, a lot more distortion with the guitar. It's still over cool hip hop trappy beats because our producer Sorrow is amazing. And Ray, our vocalist, Ray Hawthorne, he's been going further with his vocal styles and he's been screaming and singing and rapping. So there's like a bunch of all sorts of diverse styles all collaborating in one. And North Kingsley's like my little experimental baby, you know? Uh, every time we get together, something new happens. So it's like surprise for me as well. So it's really fun to see the development and show you guys the development as we move. So I'm looking forward for that to drop and see how people feel in here, you know? I'm also working on something that might be a little premature, but I've been working with a producer named Morgoth Beats on a solo project where it's all heavy, just heavy, what I'm used to. Like the songs I would bring to system is kind of that type of stuff, you know, like very heavy, fast. And I have some ideas of how to drop that. So like stuff that comes from the heart, not very experimental, just very heavy music that I write. That's my DNA, it's in my DNA. So a little reminiscent of system, a little, you know, a mixture of like Pantera, Sepultura system, you know, all sorts of heavy bands in one, which is what comes out of me naturally when I grab a guitar. So I can't wait for you guys to hear that, but I'm going to wait on that maybe the coming year or maybe the end of the year. I, th I think maybe 2023, because I want to just let North Kingsley ride, do its thing. And then I think this album will be ready too. And, you know, I just want to keep busy, bro. I don't like sitting around and 22 red. Hopefully we'll hit some more states, but we're growing in Cali right now. We have new distribution, so we're going to be hitting way more dispensaries. I also have new genetics coming out. Can't wait for the connoisseur to taste. Really cool flowers, man. And that's about it. Well, that, those are some really cool things coming down the pipe here soon. I can, you know, I was telling the boys before you came on about, I distinctly remember the first time I heard System of a Down and what it was like to sit down and listen to that album start to finish back in the 90s. And uh, I'm really looking forward to the new material. And hopefully it's that same life affirming and eye opening musical experience that I had with the first System album and frankly, every album that's been out since then. So, you know, oh, yeah. look, on behalf of all of us, it's been a joy to have you on the show. Thank you so much for coming and sharing your black and gold experience and talking about some rock with us. We really appreciate it. Of course, folks, our guest today has been Shavo Odajian. You know him as the bassist of System of a Down, amongst a million other projects that you're working on in the world of art, producing, directing, you DJ, and of course, the entrepreneur work and all your activist work within the community, which we didn't touch on today. But thank you for all that nonetheless, sir. My pleasure. One more thing I forgot to mention. We just did a new track for LAFC, me and DJ Flick. We actually played it yesterday, but it played for like a little while after halftime when the team came out. But I think there was so much commotion, people couldn't tell it was a new track. It's called Rep in the City, and it's a new LAFC hype track that you need to hear. It's what? me and the Yeah, I told you. Like, we're doing the LAFC podcast, and I'm, I'm not even mentioning that. I just did a new song for LAFC. So it is dope. It's just like this crazy hyped, bouncy track. Dope. Oh. Yeah, we had DJ Flicked on actually uh, a week after uh, Do It For LA had dropped. And uh, if I remember correctly, he had alluded to uh, working tracks with uh, you on the up and up. So that's mm -hmm. that's something that our fans are going to have to be out on the lookout for. But sir, again, thank you very much. Thank you uh, for social media, too, is at uh, 22 red. That's two the two numbers, two, two, two R.E.D. That's for the lifestyle brand and cannabis fashion and music. And again, our guest has been Shavo Odajian. Again, thank you very much, sir. And with that, we'll be right back after this break.
Thank you, guys. Hey, it's Kevin Frazier from Entertainment Tonight. And listen, I am an LAFC super fan. So I always make sure I download and listen to Shoulder to Shoulder podcasts. They keep me updated. But more importantly, I get to listen to these dudes' opinions about the team I love the most. Keep doing your thing, guys. All right. And with this week, we are back with another opponent correspondent as we look forward to this weekend's match against the Philadelphia Union. We have as our guest... John El Parcero Philly, and he is representing the Dupe by the River podcast. You can follow them at, at Parcero Philly, which is P A R C E R O P H I L L Y, and Dupe by the River podcast is at Dupe by the River pod, and they are part of the Philly Sports Network, which is at Philadelphia SN. Thank you very much, El Parcero Philly, for coming on our show. No, no, thank you for having me on. Obviously, with the different time changes, I'm actually a little bit jealous over in the East Coast. It's up and down weather, and you guys have that beautiful weather that my union are going to experience this upcoming weekend. And I'm excited to talk some union versus LAFC, brother. Dude, it's it's you know we're definitely blessed here. I mean, you know, it's expensive to live here, but if you can if you can figure out a way to make it work, it's uh, it's the weather is definitely the biggest upside. Absolutely, man. I agree. I agree. So uh, do us a favor. Tell us a little bit about yourself, the your show, how you became yeah. a Philadelphia Union fan, and where our guests could find your show and how often you guys uh, put out content. Yeah, so for me personally, um, you know, I obviously go by as Barcelona Philly, a proud Colombian-American Philly sports fan. That's what we predominantly do. We do five for five Philly sports talk. If anyone knows anything about Philly sports, the city is pretty crazy about sports. But, you know, throughout the past 40, 50 years or so, it's always been a four-sport city with the NFL, NBA, NHL, and MLB. But but as we all know, in every market, the MLS is growing and this city deserves a, a great soccer team. And that's what we've been getting over the past couple of seasons. So for me personally, being Colombian um, and also being a proud Phil- Philadelphian as well, soccer was always there. You know, obviously I would go to Colombia every summer to see my family and get, you know, captivated with my culture. And, you know, for three months out of the year, I was loving soccer, biggest soccer fan. And I come back to the United States and, you know, the birds are back next week and it's like soccer who. So uh, but now as, as I got an older and much more appreciation as you mature as well, you, you gain the love again for the sport. Um, and I'm just excited that I've been able to get back into uh, YouTube. And, and I, uh, that's been a blessing and just overall sports coverage. But for the union. I believe in the product, the MLS, and I want to give the fans what they deserve. Um, that's been the goal since day one. And uh, yeah, so it, it's just a, it's just a big part of what we do every day, my man. Right on. Um, so let's go ahead and highlight some of the offseason moves that, you, that the Philadelphia Union have had. We've had a few departures. I think the biggest one for your club was Casper uh, Subilko, who uh, was bought by the Chicago Fire for some uh, Garber Bucks. Uh, we also <laughs> lost... Uh, uh, Jamir Montero to San Jose, uh, Il Sinho retired, uh, Anthony Fontana declined his bona fide offer and he decided to try and go over and play in Italy for a Serie B team. Uh, you know, so there are some holes that may need to be filled. Uh, but then there was the arrival of Michael Uwa. Is that right? That's Uwa. That is Very perfect. Good. You nailed it, bro. Yeah. And he is from Brandy IF. And uh, there's also Julian Carranza, who is on loan right now from Inter-Miami, and he is filling one of the DP spots. So why don't you go ahead and fill in our listeners a little bit about some of the transactions that had happened during the offseason? Absolutely, man. And, and I'll be quite frank with you. The offseason plan was simple. This is a complete team. You saw throughout the playoffs last year, but you saw what the downfall was. The inability to score some goals now, what happened in the Eastern Conference Finals, you cannot control. But the plan was to go out and make sure we can improve upon the attack. Every every single facet of this team is at an elite level within this league. And when at times when you need that goal, 
who was going to score that goal? And that was the issue. I mean, you mentioned the departure of Casper Shabilko and Jamiro Montero. They were very integral for what we were trying to do over the last two, three seasons since Ernst Sanders been here. But now it's time to change the guard. It wasn't good enough, and we've seen it already. And so when you go out and you get a Michael Uwa, who for by all means was a spectacular goal-scoring threat in, in Denmark, comes over here, and you're already seeing the potential there. He obviously hasn't had a lot of goals to rely on. But I'm not, I don't think that this is an Aki Lobo situation with Nashville, right? I do think that he is going to be perfect for this league. You see how well he, he runs behind the back lines of a lot of teams. And with the style of the Philadelphia with, the, with this high press, and it's important for forwards to be able to know when to move once the ball is back in the union's possession and it's very, very quick, they like to dictate the pace. And alongside with Uwa, you get a Carranza who, by the way, has to be the steal of the offseason when you take him away from uh, let's 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 be 100 percent honest. Inter Miami is not the not not a well to not, not a well run um organization down there in, in Miami. And so when you're able to take them away for essentially a steal, it's a, it's a, it's a loan deal with an option to buy and it, it, we can sign them to a team friendly deal, but we'll worry about that in the off season. But those two have been complemented very well with what is Daniel Gazdak, who obviously we saw him at the, uh, sign on in the middle of last year, right before CCL. And so far those three have been gaining some chemistry. Everything has been looking really solid so far with this team, but those goals haven't been falling, but you can clearly tell the upgrade that both Carranza and Ua really brought, and those really were the big pieces because we have depth everywhere. And with the with the beauty of the academy, that has really brought on a lot of depth for this team as well. So you don't have you don't have to go out and make a bunch of signings in the offseason when you can just bring up a kid from Uni Two or from your youth academy. So it's it's all about the attack these days, man. And I think that that's pretty evident in uh, the current run of form. You know, you look and see the Philadelphia is currently sitting right now first in the east in the Eastern Conference. Um, but for those of us that are not as familiar with the depth of your roster. Can you talk to us about some of these other players that might be role players that it would be interesting for an LAFC fan to look out for and be aware of as they're watching the match? We're obviously know who Andre Blake is, who is a Jamaican international goalie. And of course, with the highlight that he just put on, uh, what was it yesterday? I mean, amazing. This, this goalie is an amazing stance on his head on a regular, a regular amount of time. And of course, Alejandro Bedoya, former U S men's national team player, who is also the captain of your squad. But what are some of these lesser known players that might impact this Philly side. It's very simple with the union. Look, there's not one superstar on this team. You know, it's not David Beckham, Landon Donovan, Robbie Keenan, and then a bunch of other really solid players. This is a complete team. No one's bigger than another. And so when you're looking at this roster, obviously, like you mentioned, all does start with Andre Blake, the wall that we have back there. But in front of him is a nugget wall, and you're seeing it so far this season. You know, th there's been some mishaps in the past couple matches, but still, we're not we're not allowing more than a, a two goals over this entire season. So uh, with with Kai Wagner, uh, he actually actually just dressed up for his 100th match this past this past match against Nashville. He's honestly a top five fullback in this league, someone who can get up in the attack, create with out wide with those crosses and still track back and play some defense. And you already mentioned uh, Jakob Glass and Jack Elliott. Those are two guys who are a force. If you watch the playoffs, how important, how integral throughout all the matches, how big they were, obviously not in the last one, but through Nashville and through the Red Bull match, they were so big at what we did and obviously can score goals too, which is crazy to think. Nathan Harrell has been a youngster who's been 
who actually stole the job earlier in this year that was held by Olivia Baizo. And you could see the speed. This kid already had speed last year. You saw that in his couple appearances with the union, but his ability to get up and come back down, he's gaining a lot of chemistry with what, what you mentioned, Alejandro Bedoya. On that right-hand side, they have been a great partnership. Uh, you know, a lot, a lot of times with the union, especially with this German system, you have that shuttle midfielder who gives some width, but obviously the fullback's really the one that's going to provide a lot of the attack out there. And so a lot of those time, a lot of the times, those guys are interchangeable. There's a lot of outlet passes going on with them, so it's important that those two gain a chemistry. Um, then, of course, you have Brujo Martinez, who Jim Curtin a couple of weeks ago came out with the best number six in the league, put out that proclamation. And so he's, he's one of the most tenacious uh, number six that we have in this league alongside with the other left shuttle midfielder uh, Leon Flock and like we mentioned earlier you have the three forwards up, up top essentially I, 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 they play essentially like three forwards up top but obviously Gazak's at number 10 threading the needle in a league that you have so many good number 10s and then Caranza and Ua um, are guys up top that who have been and the beauty about the season is they're playing up to 60-70 minutes and with the depth that this team has had you have Corey Burke now, Sergio Santos, who's someone who you, you saw in the last match that we faced off against each other, he has grown into be a more consistent player. The issue being is the injuries, and he missed the last two matches with those injuries. So we'll wait and see what his statuses will be for Saturday night. But um, the depth that you're speaking of is from the kids. So you got Jack McLean, Paxson Aronson, Quint Sullivan. These are youngsters who are actually, you know, gotten some call-ups from the under-20s here for the United States. They really provide a lot of the depth, Paxson being a 10. Jack McGlynn being as, as a, like a number eight, a shuttler. Um, and then, of course, uh, Quinn Sullivan is a Swiss Army knife. He could play anywhere in the midfield. He could play as a forward as well. He came on in the second half against Nashville as a forward, too. Um, and then, of course, like I mentioned, Corey Burke and Sergio Santos. This is really the main substitutions that you have. But like I said, this is a complete team. And the you hear it all the time. Matt Doyle from MLS has mentioned it as well. Uh, this this team, is they're space eaters, right? They, they Their style is obviously get the ball. And then go on a, on a quick counterattack and get that fast pace going. And so it's all about be it's all about uh, being at the right spots at the right times. And so that's really how this team has been flourishing all throughout the season, man. So we we talked about it briefly, but so Philadelphia right now first in the East. They've got five wins, three ties, and a loss, eighteen points. Uh, and they started out on a hot streak, hot streak, especially uh, especially after the opening day match where they drew against Minnesota United. They won their next five matches in a row, but recently Philadelphia have had two draws and a loss over the last over the last three matches. So what has changed recently over the last three matches uh, versus the first six? I, I think it's just the laws of the season. It's a long season, right? Um, and, and we're we're almost at the third way through of this MLS season. And I just think they just kind of hit a little bit of a law. When you're watching them play, especially over these last three matches where we have seen a loss uh, and two draws, it's really been starting off the gate really good. They have they're playing really well. They're not getting those goals, but they're getting a lot of opportunities. A couple of those goals have come in the first half as well. But the problem was the second half, it's it, they kind of tail off. Against Toronto, they, they start off hot. They get two goals uh, in that second half to lose the game against Montreal. Kai, Kai Kamara comes in, a little tactical change from Wilfred Nancy. He makes a nice run, and he gets the best of Jakob Glezes. And, and in this past match, 
they they looked really good for the first 30 of the second half, but then you get an, a Brujo, uh, Brujo Martinez handball in the box, and then obviously Ronald Leal gets the, the PK, and the kind of the momentum change, and Nashville got a jolt of energy, and of course, Geodis Park, uh, that was their first match ever, and they woke up as well, and so really, it's it's been not playing a full 90, and I think that's part of being in a long season, and this is going to be a tough month for the Union. They had they were going to play seven matches, 28 days. They just got done their first one, and so you're going to see a lot of. You would hope, and I know that Jim in the past has liked going with a lot of the same lineups for a couple of straight matches at a time, but he's going to have to get some rotation here. We'll see what it looks like against LAFC, um, but. It's, that's really all it is. I just think that they just uh, just hit a little bit of a wall, but they should be okay because they still look really good. Absolutely. You know, and LAFC is going to be in a similar boat where they play seven, potentially eight, depending on how the U.S. Open Cup draw plays out. But they have um, uh, the with the match against Portland that's coming up on the 10th. You know, they have the, the seven or eight games also in this month. So there, we also might see a little bit of that rotation. Um, but I do think that, you know, Steve Trendle is going to want to come out and especially give right. his best his best bet against the team and show respect for a team like Philadelphia. It's it's tough, man. And obviously the travel is a factor in this as well. Obviously, the union went to Nashville. Now they got to go all the way to L.A. People don't think about that when they look at the league as a whole. Absolutely. Um, so all time record right now, LAFC has played Philadelphia three times in this all time. LAFC has one win and two ties. They haven't lost to Philadelphia. Most recently though, the last two matches were ties and those were back in 2020 LAFC had a three, three draw. And like, uh, and we had talked about it before we started recording that that was the lead up to COVID. Um, so shut it down. It was, that was it, man. The three, it was big. It was explosive three, three. And they're like, all right, we're done, man. That's it. No more. Um, so what are some of your expectations for this upcoming weekend? Do you expect to see anything different from Philadelphia as they're trying to get back in the win column? Yeah, I'll be honest with you. I don't, I don't want to give you a, a, like a bland answer, but I, I really don't know what to expect Saturday night. Like we just discussed, the, the union are taking a little dip in performance and it's not, it hasn't been terrible, but now you're like, I mentioned the travel factor gets put into this, right? So you got to go all the way to LA after you just got done in Nashville. Uh, and that just makes it even tougher. So I'm really curious what is going to be, what the, the, the performance is going to look like in LA and reminder, so when you, the union are going to be playing over there, I, I think it's going to be around seven o'clock, seven thirty over there in L.A. Over here, it's going to be eleven o'clock at night. That's pretty damn late for all of us here. And of course, all of us fans will be watching. But that is something to think about as well. But I, I think for the union, it's very simple. And obviously, I, I have not seen this new Steve Toronto. I'm very intrigued to watching uh, this new Steve Toronto LAFC squad uh, go up against this union team. But if the union can play their style of play, like I, I really do think they could be any team in this league. But it's just really playing a full ninety. Yeah, absolutely. And it's a yeah, an eight o'clock game here on Saturday, May seventh gotcha. at the bank. And it is. I mean, that's definitely again something else you got to consider. You know, that the players coming from the East Coast are going to be playing at a time. Their routines are all off. And you hear professional athletes talk about their routines and how important they are in the time change and having to do that balance, whether it's across any sport that's played here in America. Um, but that's definitely one of those ones that you have to consider. And of course, there is the U.S. Open Cup match that everyone's going to be having in the next week. And so, you know, it, it's one of those ones that uh, you have to just look at how it's all going to play out. Uh, what are some of your expectations, though, for the season? Um, I know that there is uh, participation in the new tournament that's going to be played here uh, between uh, uh, the MLS and the Liga MX that's coming up. Of course, uh, you guys are going to look to try and win another supporter shield after your 2020 
uh, supporter shield that you guys won. We also too are going to be looking to try and get some hardware in our, in our shelves. And so, you know, with this long season and the return of the U S open cup and all these things, what are some of your expectations for the rest of the season for the Philadelphia union? I, I mean, when I always look at the league cups uh, as a whole, uh, it's always like, uh, it's, it's like, um, it's extra, right? It, to me, it's like, okay, if we win US Open Cup, that's pretty cool, but it's not my end goal. Like, I think this this city's pretty simple. We want championships, and, and, I, and I know for a lot of American fans, they don't understand what a US Open Cup title is or a Champions League title is, but still pretty big. But for all of us, we want the MLS Cup. And I think that's everyone from the team to the fans. Our eyes are on that trophy. We got so close last year. And what happened was so unfortunate, but it happened. And you can't control that. But now you saw in the beginning of the year. And like I said, we hit a little bit of a wall. But I think once we get closer to those months of playoff time, you're going to see that energized come back again because we all remember what happened last year. So I think going forward, it's just all about finding the form, finding the rhythm, getting we need we also do need to see Uan Carranza get on a tear because I do know that these guys can score multiple goals in games. And I want to see those guys break uh break um Sebastian Latou's record as well for all goals all time. So uh it's to, to us, it's just the end game. And this is a good team, right? So it's about getting to the MLS Cup and winning it. Perfect. Well, again, thank you very much. El Parcero Philly. Again, he's representing the Dupe by the River podcast. Again, that is at Dupe by the River pod of the Philly Sports Network at Philadelphia SN. He's been this week's opponent correspondent, helping us preview the upcoming match against the Philadelphia Union this Saturday, May 7th at 8 p.m. at the Bank of California Stadium. So thank you very much, sir. I appreciate you taking the time to help us out. And, uh, you know, we'll get you back on again once we get Philadelphia as an opponent again. Absolutely. No, thank you for having me on. This is a lot of fun. And as we say here in Philly, dupe on, baby. Right on. And with that, we'll be right back after a short break. What's up, y'all? It's Sholo Maridueña, Miguel Diaz from Cobra Kai. And uh, you're listening to the Shoulder to Shoulder podcast. All right, boys. We have heard from our opponent correspondent, Thank you once again to El Parcero Philly for joining us and getting us all ready for this game versus the Onions. So it's time once again to put those predictions where our microphones are. Gentlemen, who is taking the game Saturday night at 8 o'clock kickoff time? Late kickoff. That's a little weird, but I like it because I can work and make it to the game on time. So thank you, MLS. I appreciate the 8 o'clock kickoff. Feel sorry for all the Philly fans that have a kickoff at 11 p.m. local time for them, but eh, that's what you get for living on the East Coast. Boys, what do you think is going to happen when the dupe comes to the bank? I think that LAFC is going to have a strong performance. I think it will be a tight, it'll be a tight match in terms of the scoreline. Uh, a one-goal victory is is all that I see as being the difference maker. Um, you know, Philadelphia is playing some good football, uh, as, as, as we had mentioned in the interview with El Parcero Philly, you know, Philadelphia is, is looking for an opportunity to right the ship. They had that hot streak of the five wins to start the season after their opening day tie. But the most recent form, they've had two ties and a loss. So, you know, they're looking for an opportunity to get back in the win column. And I think that they're going to give us all that they have. They're going to try and make sure that they give us every bit of what they can bring to the table because they want to show that they're the real deal this year. They want to show that they aren't being overlooked. And I think that they also want to kind of 
right the wrongs that happened last season in the postseason when they lost to NYCFC, when they had all their players go out, or not all, but a, a significant amount of the players on that lineup go down for COVID and they couldn't postpone the, the Eastern Conference Finals match. So I think that Philadelphia is eager to prove a point and they're going to come out uh, guns a blazing. I think it's going to be uh, a bit of a back, like I said, a bit of a back and score, back and forth scoreline. And I'm expecting a uh, 3-2 victory to LAFC. I'm calling it a... 3-1 victory. Um, I think it's going to be a matter of really being secure in the back, especially early on. The team has a high-pressing, high-energy team. So as long as we could get passing through and um, occasionally we're going to have to probably opt for a longer ball and having Chicho or midfielders bring it down and then play that way, I think it's going to be an interesting game because we haven't played a team that presses this high this often. So it's going to be leaving a lot of gaps in the back. So I, I imagine in this game, it's going to be a Poku again and Chicho with Mazovsky coming in because of that, barring any injuries, I guess. And I think it's going to be 3-1. I think I think I do think they're going to get the first goal, to be honest with you. And it's going to be in the first half and it'll probably be tied at halftime. But um, I think our relentlessness, our quality, I think we have better players. We have more experienced players, more balance and our bench is going to overwhelm them in the way that they haven't been uh overwhelmed in the east coast teams as of yet ride your streaks i I do think lafc is going to take this one especially with it being at the bank especially with the start time being favorable to the fitness of our players as well too you got to remember for these philadelphia players as well too this game is going to run past midnight for their body clock and i do think that that means the subs for lafc will once again be the heroes I don't see LAFC scoring three goals in this game because Philly has not given up three all season. I think this game ends 2-1. I agree. I think Philly's going to get that first goal until LAFC shows to me that they can come out and command the first 15, 20, 30 minutes of a game, something we have really struggled at, versus a team that presses like Philly does. They're going to cause those errors at a time in which we are prone to make them. And I think they could get a goal really early on in this game. And then that stalwart defense throughout the course of second halves that we've seen from our LAFC team throughout the course of this year is going to kick in. And we're going to see another shutout second half. And the game is going to end two to one to LAFC. Carlos Vela hasn't found the back of the net in a while. That is inevitable to change. I think Vela finds the back of the net. And who knows? Anyone on this entire roster could score that second goal. I have absolutely no clue who it would be. Just from my heart speaking, I really want to see Blessing score a goal because he's had a lot of opportunities. He's put himself in good places. But let's be honest, he doesn't really have the shooting boots in his locker right now. And maybe just that one goal that fumbles itself over the line from Blessing is just what it needs to get him going on the offensive end this year. So I'm rooting for Blessing to get that second goal. I think Sifu starts the game, gets the first 60 minutes. Blessing comes in for the last 30, and a scramble is going to lead to a ball that he just pokes in, and that's going to be the game changer with the game winner. And that's what I'm calling it. But, folks, that's going to go ahead and wrap us up for today's episode. We would like to ever so graciously and eternally thank Shabo Odajian for coming out and joining us today. What an amazing get. A huge thank you as well to John Alparcero from Philly, from Duke by the River, for joining us as today's opponent correspondent. And that's going to go ahead and call it for episode 117. We'd like to thank you all for listening. 
Take us home, Sticks.